Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kreski on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. I don't have to tell you that we're living in extraordinary times, and many of us are spending our times indoors these days. With all that extra time indoors, we've been talking with folks and hearing that it might be nice to hear some talk about movies and maybe give us something else to think about. So the Film Comment Podcast will be doing some special editions. We'll be talking about what we've been watching and, wherever possible, providing links so you can watch too or read more. Call it the Film Comment Podcast at Home. For our first installment of the Film Comment Podcast at Home, I sat down with my editorial colleagues, remotely, don't worry, digital editor Clinton Crute and assistant editor Devika Girish, to talk about our recent viewing habits and also vent some general concerns about the movies. Let's go to the conversation, and please stay safe, everyone. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast, special home edition, uh, in that we are all at home, uh, as I'm sure you are, hopefully, uh, somewhere relatively safe or calm, considering the current state of affairs. Um, But we decided that, at least one thing that might help us is just talking about movies and what we've seen. Uh, we being um, myself, Nick Rippold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and... Hello? Can you guys hear me? Yes, we hear you, Clint. Uh, Devika. I can't hear Devika. I'm... Because it's your uh, turn to introduce yourself. I can't I, I'm just. Anything. I'm just awaiting I, where my am turn. I? <laughs> I can't see anything. <laughs> I'm not this, this is a podcast, Clint. It's oh, okay. audio. It's a thing that I, people I just don't listen panic. to. Sorry, I just don't couldn't panic. hear anybody at all there for the entire first section. I'm not oh. sure why. So I don't I was not aware that it was my turn. That was a, a rather rapid uh lifting of the curtain. Okay. <laughs> okay, well well take it away, Clint. Tell 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 the people your your name, rank, and serial serial number. I'm uh my name is Clinton Crute. I'm the digital editor at Film Comment, and my serial number is 172627X. <laughs> and I'm Devika Girish. I'm the assistant editor, and my social security number is. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> no, Anything no. Anything but that. No. It's going to be a long podcast. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're looking to do these uh, on some sort of regular basis to distract you, divert you from the world outside. And ourselves, uh, and most ourselves. importantly. <laughs> it's primarily a therapeutic purpose for, for all involved. And we're going to talk about what we've been seeing, um, maybe a little bit about what's going on at the moment, which is that uh, in the movie world, there's much uncertainty. You know, productions are being postponed. Um, theatrical releases are being postponed. In the material world of movie going, theaters, uh, you know, are postponing their uh, or temporarily closed uh, in accordance with that which must not be named uh, coronavirus. Uh, yeah, and the 
And the mayor of New York has asked that all entertainment menus, along with other uh, bars and restaurants, have to shut down. So I think thus far, some theaters were still operating at 50% capacity, but now it's just a blanket uh, ban, basically. Yeah. And so streaming is the only, or DVDs, I guess, VHS, Laserdisc. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it certainly raises some, uh, yeah, interesting challenges for people who like to go to the movie theaters, like us, <laughs> like you. Um, but you know, the, of course, the hope is all of that that these are temporary measures uh, intended to arrest and stifle the spread. Um, uh, so we're we're proceeding just to create a sense of community among our listeners, um, and again to keep ourselves momentarily sane um so we've all been watching particular movies uh that's either well i don't know if the ones that we ended up watching entirely took our mind off Mm -hmm. pervasive panic terror fear dread but we tried to begin with at least uh one movie that we, we did all see um that i like to think has a sort of positive anarchic energy to it who who wants to kick off well i'll just say It makes sense to turn to movies for escapism right now. I didn't expect just how hard it would be to maintain my attention, Uh, you know, which is already can be hard with the home viewing experience because it's so interruptible. But now with, you know, the news changing so rapidly and just there being a lot of anxiety all around, it's really hard for me to you know, watch more than 10, 15 minutes at a time and kind of fight the impulse to check my phone, check the news, check on people. Yeah, and I I, I really am missing the theatrical experience right now and, you know, valuing it. Obviously, we can't have it right now for a good reason. So, yeah, I think think even our normal roots of escapism are sort of difficult right now. Uh, Just like, you know, putting the placing whatever you're watching in the context of, you know, our lives right now yeah and thinking of thinking of how this what this movie has to say about what we're going through and uh do we have we even said what we're talking about yet i don't think we we haven't yet because i don't know if we wanted to the film is daisies by vera chitilova can we get a sound effect on that the big reveal oh uh it's not quite the daisies. That, do. <laughs> daisies, the TV movie, movie of the week. Um, um, I also, yeah, I have to apologize to listeners. Uh, clearly, as you can tell, uh, we have access to sound effects now with our new technological setup. We're going to try to use these judiciously, um, but of course, there might be whole sequences that are only sounds. We've often talked about doing sort of a morning show type of yeah. situation you know drive time yeah. okay the hope is that we get this out of our system early um but the uh, unfortunate yeah. thing is that only nick has control of the sound effects <laughs> that'll, so change. that'll change yes just One... letting everyone know it's all on him <laughs> well, well we'll change um well, well clint you also have some sonic contributions eventually um i also just want to say stay safe everyone uh, you know, I, I, Devika, all those impulses, checking on people and everything, those those are all good things to do. Um, so, yeah. yeah and it's, also, it's I, th- I, I did want to mention, we were just talking about this before we started recording, you know, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. The closing of movie theaters and the blow to film culture is very real. As you said, Nick, there's also material consequences. Uh, people have been talking a lot about uh, workers in the film industry mm. who sort of support film culture in New York and other places through contract or hourly paid jobs who now are facing unemployment and a loss of livelihood. So that's mm -hmm. been really worrisome too, just as a member of the larger film community. But... There are people who are doing really good things. There's the Cinema Worker Solidarity Fund, put together, I believe, by Light Industries, ScreenSlate, other community partners. That's been circulating online. And I encourage anyone who's not seen it yet to seek it out. Clint, did you just say it's on? It's on. It's a GoFundMe. I think it's on the uh, uh, film, uh, the Light Industry, and probably Screen. Let's probably more likely ScreenSlate. And we'll we'll include a link right in our yeah in our uh, post so you can find it there and if you yeah. have the means you can help out. Yeah. No, I think generally, yeah, that's 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 a that's a good good thing to be aware of. Stay informed, stay in, stay connected, and stay sane. You know, all these measures are, are intended to be a, a temporary one. So uh, you yeah. know, you'll see us being prudent about and making any pronouncements uh, about you know, film or film culture, but uh, maybe we can, um, I, I'm certainly in need of distraction. So maybe we can uh, jump into the field of daisies. So who's, this is the first time for people seeing it. I've seen it a few times. Yeah, I've this never seen it. This was my second time, but I saw it the first time in school and I, I think I had a very different experience watching it. I mean, I, I feel like I encountered it sort of anew. I I didn't like it at all. I'm just going to start off by saying that. You didn't like it? <laughs> I, I didn't like it. I expected to like it. You know, everything I've mm. I've heard about it over the years, I feel like it's one of those movies that you uh, know so much about that you don't, you just never get around to seeing it or you hear mm. so much about. But I finally got around to seeing it and I found it to be, and this again, I think is me, you know, reading the present context into it maybe a little bit but um and there are things about it that i just found to be kind of out of date i, I guess just not uh not relevant to the current moment anarchy not relevant to the current moment well anarchy of a specific kind you know and it's specifically you know i think it's about this cold war sit situation that the czech people at the time found themselves in and like pushing back against this specific kind of austerity in which they were living. We, maybe we should just give a quick log line for daisies, just for people who don't know. Let's let the people who have seen it multiple times <laughs> take, the, take the lead on that one. It's it's hard to describe because it's somewhat of a non-linear movie, ultimately. But basically, it's about two friends, two young women. They just decide to rebel. Um, and the way they rebel are it's just by causing mayhem at, at different locations in in, in the Czech Republic. Um, you There's know, an they, opening line that really sort of sets the tone for the film right. where mm -hmm. they're just kind of sitting out in the sun, have this kind of mechanical puppet-like movements, and they say uh, something like, well, the world is so bad, then let's go bad. The rest of the film sort of cascades from there. And they're just going through various scenes, historical and sort of literary and moral, in various settings, a club, restaurants, a room. I Would you describe it as just a kind of uh, nihilistic hedonism? No. I think it's specifically almost always about food and drink. 
what their like what their their hedonism is based on. They the one thing strange about the, this movie that is that there's no sex at all. There's like they only use sex in order to um, manipulate people who have otherwise otherwise have power over them. Right. Um, but they're not. But these two characters are totally uninterested in sex. What they're interested in is food, which is well. They're interested in wielding sex uh, in order to like eat vast quantities, disgustingly <laughs> large quantities of food. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and so like that's that's like the thrust of their anarchism. I is well, access to like incredible <laughs> banquets. I well, but I think some of that I took some of that as being you know symbolic or representative of of you know ceremony and all sorts of patriarchal kind of rituals that keep everyone in their place and keeping up appearances right are are also all stand-ins for just the kind of the window dressing of like what you were saying before a kind of you know the state um, uh, sure, that, sure. that kind of keeps everyone in check. So when they're when they're like doing a runway walk down, you know, a banquet table piled high with with cakes and and everything, um, it's it it if you know there's there's something more. To, now that just happens every day. I mean, you go to the restaurant and people just jump up on the tables and are kicking over dishes. Any every time I go to the restaurant, this is happening. But yeah. back then, back not then so it was it was not back so much. Back then it was considered taboo. It Can was. You imagine. Yeah. I will say there's like two aspects of my present experience that influenced how I viewed this film this weekend, which yeah. is kind of, you know, kind of a glib way of reading any film, very right. unhistorical. But one was I just watching this film, I couldn't help but think of you know, all the news and talk about young people, millennials on brunches as the world falls <laughs> apart. I mean, I just couldn't not think of that, you know, and the idea that, well, the world is ending, so let's just be bad and let's just go eat and uh, cavort around. It was just kind of straight surreal to view it in that context, I think. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, I've been watching um, some Ulrike Ottinger films. She was going to have this uh, series at Metrograph that was cut short on uh, because of these closures, but I've just been watching a few of her films and there's like a similar thread of this feminine anarchy in those films too. And there's sort of flamboyant dressing and acting very self-destructively. I watched uh, Joan of Arc of Mongolia and it has this long sequence in which a character just like eats endlessly a huge kind of extravagant and uh, impossible feast in a train mm-hmm. and so I, I was just kind of connecting all these dots and it, it did make me think that you know there's a certain kind of both films are representative of different but sort of maybe related kinds of feminist expression where mm. this kind of unrespectable excess is, is a statement of empowerment. Does that, I mean, maybe that's somewhat where it was kind of dated. Right. But when you think about it in the context, uh, the historical context that Clint, you were talking about. Sure. Uh, with austerity and the Cold War. Uh-huh. And, you know, the context we are in right now where, you know, we owe a collective responsibility to each other. 
Sure, sure. To be moderate and stay at home and give up certain things, give up certain luxuries and indulgences. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I just think that there was there's like an interesting maybe tension there between that kind of individual expression of empowerment and the sort of collective responsibility that we all have to think about right now. Yeah, I think yeah. that's definitely true. It's a good uh, diagnosis <laughs> of my of my reaction to this movie, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I also just find it a pretty reliably, I don't know, exuberant experience watching the movie. Just not only what the two characters do, but just what uh, Vera Chitilova, uh, the director, does. There's just such a joy in like breaking down, uh, uh, you know, all the rules. And there's one scene where the, the, the two women are like in a in, in like a bedroom, just kind of hanging out, and they start just. The, first of all, the wall the production design in that room is like amazing yeah. the wall is covered with it's, it's beautiful it's like supercharged version of like any kind of adolescent bedroom with stuff on the wall but i think it's <laughs> drawings of flowers beautifully like detailed drawings of flowers papering the walls but but they start like cutting with they go wild with scissors um mm -hmm. and then you know the the actual film gets chopped up with with scissors like actually cut into pieces and you get this brief like mm -hmm. collage effect um, I don't know, just stuff like that. That I mean, you know, some is... really evocative moments too. I loved the part where they cut up pictures of food and put them on bread and eat them. <laughs> and it's it's sort of like a very literal way of talking about empty consumption. Right. But it's done so beautifully and it's very effective. And all of these things also happen so fast, kind of. I don't know, almost like a silent sort of slapstick film ish yeah somewhere between like you know Marx brothers and zazie and the metro you know that sort of stuff right and then it's like so many quick little moments strung together but each of them have so much detail in the mise-en-scene conceptually pick up your copy of the new issue of film comment featuring an extensive interview with kelly reichardt along with an essay on her latest first cow also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Jay Hoberman on Thomas Heise's essay film Heimat is a Space in Time, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Plus, Spike Lee's trusted costume designer Ruthie Carter, Isabel Huppert in Lulu, George Romero's Lost Film, and much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. I'm a skeptic here. I'm just Clint, uh, Clint just just doesn't want us to have fun. That's the problem. No, I just I th I find those t the two main characters they were just uh, kind of obnoxious, and I think that like you know ideologically, I think it's I just don't I not that I'm like for pro uh, austerity and oppressive Soviet government, but, uh, <laughs> not it comes not out at all. Last. I just don't think that uh, rampant anarchic individualism. I guess it, I didn't. I had a hard time joining in the joy de vivre of of these characters. I will say, I found it to not be a fun experience. Yes, mm. I agree. I I did not find the film very joyful, and I also found it very sad. Yeah. I mean, it begins and ends with. Uh, I mean, I will. Yeah, it does begin and end with footage of what seems to be a from a bomber, and then the sound of bombs blowing up, and sort of and you know some sort of war footage, and it's sixty six. So uh, I don't know precisely what war it's talking about. I believe those shots are U.S. Navy footage 
from World War II. I looked it up. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, it's not like some happy-go-lucky thing. Um, by, by, yeah, by framing it with that stuff, it's that's definitely the backdrop, the undertone, the like the violence that's underneath the whole social order. And that kind of their hysteria, it, it's a little bit disturbing. I don't think it's just purely, uh, you know, ecstatic or excessive. I think it, it's a little bit disturbing. Now you're talking me into the film because now if I if I think of it as like a, if I well if as a as instead if you think of it as not a a celebration of their behavior but rather as like you know a des, a display of this pathology because to me these two characters are not human they're literally dolls at the beginning creaking yeah. and and then they they just seem sort of maniacal and uh, really just sort of single minded which makes it seem almost just like this is the only possible reaction to the situation, to the political situation that they find themselves in possibly. Yeah. No, I think the dole thing is a really good point. Uh, I mean, because it's almost, yeah, they're helplessly doing all these things. It's, I mean, if they're social, it's more like they're doles out of control than maybe. There's also that scene where they get chopped up like paper dolls. And yeah, I did wonder what the epigraph of the film means. I mean, I, I could look it up, but I was just trying to sort of arrive at my own inference of some sort uh, because the film is dedicated to those who get upset right. only over a stomped upon bed of lettuce. Mm-hmm. I think maybe what's, it's what's about... not clear there. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to make sense to me. <laughs> I guess it's not yeah. dedicated to me. I mean, yeah. I think to me that sort of sound, there's like an element of like literal rebellion, but also just an element of like Dadaist, just kind of, you know, pasted together statements i don't know maybe it's that people are not uh, maybe it's that people are not upset about human beings being stomped on but rather only upset when like their bed of lettuce gets stepped on i don't know but yeah i mean also because i was reading the film as a little bit as a critique of respectability politics Mm -hmm. and of rules of etiquette and social behavior Mm-hmm. that encircle women. I thought maybe it was a reference to that, getting upset over sort of meaningless acts of insult or meaningless acts of deviation. I don't know. I feel like I'm in a college class now being like, okay. yeah, what does that, <laughs> what well, does it can, mean? What does that, what does that metaphor mean? Well, well we, that's probably this, the, the moment we can move on to another movie. Well, um, this movie reminded me of a movie I saw at Anthology, I think the week, now I'm losing track of time, but uh, there was recently the Dusan Makavejev retrospective at Anthology, and I saw um, The Coca-Cola Kid by him, and this movie kind of reminded me of, of that film, and also it made me want to revisit A Man Is Not a Bird, and sort of see, like, for a kind of a different perspective on the same period of history, I guess. I think Man Is Not a Bird is 1965, and Daisies is 66. So what did what did it what did it, what did it say for you the two movies in your head? <laughs> well, I think they're both. Man is not a bird. Is about this sort of like hypnot this uh, hypnotism of society by uh, or you know individuals by um, the communist dictatorship. And um, I think Daisies is sort of as kind of now I'm coming around to the point of view that Daisies is sort of a similar has a similar idea going um, the dolls in that they're dolls and that they've been kind of uh, they're sort of zombies 
in that way. Um, for some reason, when you were talking, I ended up thinking um, of, of a couple other, I don't know, these kind of anarchic movies. It reminds me of like bands like Lilliput or um, sure. like Delta Five, you know, something like that. Just this sort of similar energy there. It's interesting to think of it. Well, we did have a plan to see The Last Man on Earth. I think um, maybe that became a little too on the nose for all of us at different <laughs> yeah. points. Um, I mean, The Last Man on Earth from the novel by Richard, Richard Madison, right? Yeah. I am legend. I am legend. I um, am legend. Um, and it's, uh, you know, an earlier adaptation from, I want to say, 63, 64, with Vincent Price playing The Last Man on Earth. Um, although he quickly realizes that is really kind of maybe not the case. Um, but it's it's kind of, it's interesting because it's kind of like a zombie um, movie um, before, you know, Night of the Living Dead in 1968. And it's interesting that the time period of Last Man on Earth is actually 1968. He's been like alone or thinks he's alone on Earth for a few years. And he's beginning as him drawing this calendar on the wall of all the days like he's in prison. Um, and he is the last man who is not turned into a zombie vampire thing. So he spends each day, uh, you know, waking up kind of just kvetching and then going out to kill, checking his gas generator supply and then going out to like kill the, the remaining wandering zombies that pose a threat. Um, and you have some flashbacks um, all in all, it's just a wonderful thing to be watching now. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, sounds ideal. <laughs> I skipped this one. Should I make <laughs> my very pass. guilty <laughs> confession? Uh huh. I watched some episodes of Gossip Girl instead of watching some great cinema that we could talk about on this podcast. So, how does Gossip Girl compare to Daisies? That's what I wanted to. Can Honestly, we do, can there we are this? similarities. This is good. I think this there is are. Good. Too. Yeah, I mean, it's all—it's just these two rich Upper East Side girls just going on brunches and. Can you give us a full rundown of the plot of the of the entire series of Gossip Girl for the remaining? <laughs> I don't know. I just had about three, four hours on Saturday evening where I couldn't do anything and I needed something that was very unchallenging. And so Mm -hmm. I just ended up watching a bunch uh, of episodes. And I mean, obviously, I had to stop at some point because I I, I had a moment where I was like, why do I care who this person dates next and what college this other person gets into? I don't know. It's like one of those things with these young adult shows that uh, completely entrap you in the often very trivial because these are your new friends devika i know okay <laughs> okay fine i'll admit it i just want to be friends with blake lively and Leighton meester in these times well i mean i i think it's interesting I mean, what what is it about the milieu which now feels as far away as like the age of innocence uh in some ways <laughs> Yes, I was. I remember a couple, like over the last couple of years, I keep. I don't know why. I I didn't ever finish watching all of Girls, but I watched like the first couple of seasons, and I remember thinking, oh, it's like about. It's really speaking to this moment in history, like when the when that show was like really popular. Hmm. And then I remember thinking, like after 2016, just like I or more than once, I've had the thought, like Girls is like totally. It was like a period. It was like that was the end of that moment in history. And now there's this new thing that this, that that show like does not mm. seem to have anything to say about. 
and uh, Golden uh, Golden Girls, uh, Gossip Girls. <laughs> See, personally, I watched three hours of Golden Girls. That's where I was went to. <laughs> which really, I yeah, which great. really just you know lays it all out there. <laughs> no, I think you're right, and I think Gossip Girl also captures this moment in time. But also, I didn't watch it when it was big, so it does feel like accessing this time capsule of a time that I lived through, but not through these cultural experiences, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. It's also, I, since moving to New York last year, I've been watching a lot of New York-based shows and just reading uh, novels set in New York. And I watched all of Mad Men last year, which was great. And Gossip Girl is like a different, very warped portrait of life in New York. Unlike Mad Men, which is an accurate portrayal of yeah, that's like you know documentary precision, sort of Theodore Dreiser <laughs> of our time. Yeah, I um, mean, it's just it's it's a document, you know, it's an artifact. Uh, yeah, and it is. I think not to like make everything too topical, but I don't know. It, it's this what we're going through right now is making us rethink cities. You know, it is making us rethink urban living yeah it's bringing up a lot of class issues a lot of you know failures in the systems that we kind of rely on to keep functioning so it it does feel strange to watch these tv shows and their little slices of new york which you know are full of contrivances and just and what could be less consequence i mean gossip is consequential but it's just like Oh, she's a gossip girl. It just seems like, you know, they're they're living this uh, it just seems very superficial. That show is always like about this sort of like intrigue and soap opera world. Yeah, and, and I, it's really yeah. about the, you know, the whole pull is that it's about the life of the rich, the super rich and famous and their little petty uh problems and uh you know, let them eat cake kind of issues. Whereas Madman really digs deep into the <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, you know, it's it's it does feel like another world now. Another world I I I I, I uh, again I want to emphasize that we will return to I guess it will be changed in some way, but uh um, it would be a real shame if we just started only watching television shows and talking about that on the <laughs> podcast. Then they will have won, whoever yes. they are. I mean, you know, some people are watching Chernobyl in this time. I do not have the constitution for that. Well, so... you know what I, I did watch, Segway, um, that did kind of spring out of this time is A Nightmare in Elm Street, um, <laughs> which which was its own kind of nostalgia for a time of, uh, for a certain kind of, horror movie um and a certain kind of speaking of like high school or teenage a lot of those movies you know for, from the 80s it's like they're archie comics <laughs> to a certain extent and the class stuff is there but it's like played up for cheap rivalries and stuff but i i have to say it was pretty cathartic seeing a horror movie at this moment um to have some other thing to like feel scared <laughs> or terrified about i still found it a pretty scary movie i have to say that's a new original pick, Nightmare on Elm Street. Check it out. Yeah. Um, you I heard think it my, here, folks. My next pick is going to be like a romantic movie or something. Yeah. Something well, very you... humanist. Yeah. But do you find that that's something that I think is interesting is just this going back between 
escapism and wanting to feel well for me to you know have something to some other fear to like feel alongside the general fear i'm gonna keep Um, watching these uh 60s eastern (laughs) european movies well uh, because well watching a a man is not a bird was just really like i was like god it's so bleak their lives are like it's the entire thing i mean it's beautiful it's a beautiful movie but like there's these shots of just like wastelands where this people are just like Mm. walking across and like factories spewing smoke and uh Mm. and yeah it's just uh i was had a vision of our future well a a couple days ago i saw in the boot for love Ah, that's a good one. Oh, and there you go. I just want where to you, watch. Where have you been hiding that? I just want to watch movies in that vein for a little bit because, you know, the kind of big issue in that movie is the romantic tension between these two extremely attractive people in their perfect outfits. And it's also just, it's a movie that captures and conveys and plugs into emotion so well. I think I need something like that, something that consumes me, but with an emotion other than fear or yeah, anxiety. Anger. You know? Yeah. 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 Just something that kind of in, in, enfolds you in, in these textures. Uh, and in, in these like small but large problems of life. That can be, maybe that can be a kind of prompt for our next episode. Um, maybe we can talk about um, movies more like In the Mood for Love than Last Man on Earth. We'll be um, for, on the on the hunt. I mean, things keep will keep changing around us, so we'll see where we are. But we'll keep on with the quest for finding, you know, the best movie to watch in this time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're gonna find it. I think we will. <laughs> well, you know, our aim with with our our little movie chats here is not to put you to sleep. We want to leave you time to watch your movies and run for your lives as well. <laughs> So um, we can probably bring this in for a landing. Um, what am well, I forgetting? I would just want to say thank you to you both for alleviating one hour of today's social distancing day with yes. some conversation and humor and insights. Um, this is all taking place in front of a, li- a live studio audience of 300 <laughs> In a large no. stadium? No. <laughs> it's not. You know, there's probably a point at some point where you, you could get arrested for, for um, crying a crying, crying crowded crying theater will. in a in a room. <laughs> we're um, all isolated in, in our we're own. We're all homes. isolated. Following all the, the current recommendations and uh, uh, as as we hope you are as well. Um, but we'll be back to talk more. I'm I, 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 I'm already thinking that we're going to have an edition where we, we talk about the plots of movies, how they would change if there was social distancing. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, that's, that's a fun game. <laughs> right? How does In the Mood for Love? I guess it kind of, a lot of it still works. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's true. I mean, they do live in those tiny kind of crowded apartments. Right. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be a New Yorker piece. Uh uh, shouts and murmurs or whatever uh, or we can write our own um, but at any rate well thank you thank you both as well for for alleviating the the crippling isolation of this moment um, and oh. and dear listeners thank you for listening it was heavy <laughs> yeah, let's let's lighten it up a little yeah. bit here. well stay safe everyone hope you enjoyed listening to this keep coming back tuning in for more 
Stay away from people. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But stay close to movies. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.